got a thought, and sometimes a thought can be dangerous whenever you get around the scriptures, for a thought can turn into a lot of thoughts, and a lot of thoughts. And just recently, even speaking to Jim, I think it was one verse he got so much out of in his study, his private study, that he was still on it. I don't know how long he was on that one verse for. Uh, maybe it was weeks, but I got a thought, and I want to just, uh, just for title's sake, I want to take a look at Hezekiah, the reformer king. Hezekiah, the reformer king. Turn with me to Second Kings, Second Kings chapter eighteen. And just while you're looking that up, I just want to say that, you know, whenever we look at this, we'll see a man who's went into the enemy's camp, as it were, spiritually to call men and women to worship. Um, God willing, we'll get a look at it. Maybe do another night. It just came to my mind. And, but you, what we're looking at here is Sometimes the more you press into God, the more the enemy will attack. And the closer you get to God, you'll find that the enemy will get more riled. And you'll also find that whenever you go further into his camp, you're going to find that he'll come right to your own front door, as it were. And he'll come and he'll attack. But in this, what we look at is not for you to be worried or afraid because God has not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And the idea of this is we want to see how the enemy came right in and then God allowed it to go so far and he says thus far and no further. And then God moved and scattered the enemy. Let's just read Second Kings chapter 18. And let's just start at verse 1. I'm going to be reading quite a bit tonight. Um, and I'm going to try and give you a historical timeline of what has happened. And you'll see how this has all came about. But let's just start here. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abai, or Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves, and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. Now let's stop there. You see the Reformation, when you're talking about something being reformed, or having a Reformation in a nation, among a people, Reformation is really to make better, or to reform means to make better, by the removal of faults. That's what the Protestant Reformation was about. They didn't, Luther and others like him at that time didn't want to leave, as it were, the Church of Rome as it was at the time. They wanted to bring the 95 Theses to remove the faults, to bring the church back 
to God again and to focus solely on Christ and Christ alone. So here, Hezekiah is doing this. And what we hope to do is somewhere in this, as we're hoping to see that the nation around them was even worse than Britain is today. You think our nation's, our nation's bad today, but it's even worse than our nation, Britain, is today. Notice verse 1. Hosea, the son of Elah, was king of Israel. And then Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, was king of Judah. The two kingdoms here of Israel. Israel's now separated. We're going to look at that in a moment to give you a run into what exactly was going on. 25 years old he was. He ruled in Jerusalem 29. He was 54 then. Now notice this. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And then comes the reformation, removing all the images, cutting down the groves, and he break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. And if you remember, the Lord Jesus in John chapter 3 makes mention of this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up, speaking of himself in Calvary's cross. So Jesus is mentioning this, which Hezekiah had broken. And the reason he had broken it was, at the time in Israel, it was a brazen serpent on a pole, and the serpents had bitten all the, uh, many of the children of Israel, and many of them were dying. And the Lord says, I will... Uh, rescue them from their death. I'll save them, in other words, if they look to this brazen serpent. The reason being is it's what's known as an anti-type. So anti is not just against. It also means in the place of. So this was an anti-type of Christ to come, taking the sin. And so this uh, serpent, brazen serpent, Nehushtan simply means a piece of brass. That's all it means. So they were actually bound down and worshipping this. They had carried this from the days of Moses right across Jordan and now all these years into the promised land. And they're worshipping this brazen serpent still. Even though the act had been done, the work had been finished, as it were, and the Lord says, now I move on. And remember Moses' body. Nobody knows where it was buried, for the Lord buried it. You know why? Because it's believed that if the heart of Israel would have worshipped the relic and bones of Moses, and again, that would become another idol. So God hates idolatry. He despises it. It's an abomination to him. And here, Nehushtan, a piece of brass, Hezekiah takes it. Now, this is a beloved item. This is a cherished item in the land of Israel. And he smashes it to pieces. Now, you might say, oh, but that's Bible times, and that's acceptable. Can you imagine what it would be like even today if we were to go into every house that had idols up, whether that be an Anglican or Roman or anything else, even if it was a church with a cross at the front of it and pull it down and smash it to pieces, we would be the most uh, uh, religious, fanatical bigots that ever did live. Now, can you imagine if the queen ordered that? That's what Hezekiah had to do to be right with God. He had to be radical for the Lord. And for God to keep the kingdom. I was talking to Philip today. There's a man who's written a new book for the Queen's 90th birthday. And she has written the fore, uh, foreword of it. And throughout this book, I think it's quite a, a simple, I'm taking it as quite a simple and, and an easy read book and it's not too, 
too big because churches have brought it in to give it to other people. Apparently there's something like 50,000 have went already before it's been, or ordered before it's been printed. And it's in the Queen's own words about how she uh, trusted in Christ at certain times in her life through crises. And I think it would be very interesting because wouldn't it be good if the Queen was more radical about her faith? To lead our nation like Hezekiah. Do you know Queen Elizabeth was called the Queen of Israel? That's what uh, one of her, Sir Walter Raleigh, I think it was, called her. He says, you're the, you are the Queen of our Israel. And or is he saying, you are like these kings and queens here. And Queen Elizabeth was radical for Christ. She was very radical. And you can imagine what it would be like if our queen was like that. I would like to get that book and read it. That's just by the way. But here, Hezekiah, he's so radical. This kingdom of Judah, where he is, he's in the southern kingdom. It's really went wayward. And so when we're reading this, we're going to see Hezekiah and Isaiah and their partnership. You know what we need? We need spiritual guidance from the church along with monarchy and government. Because if we don't step up and step out, the government will never know God's ideas. They'll never know God's will and word. And it takes men and women to come along with a prophetic word, bringing God to the people. And Isaiah does that with Hezekiah and spurs them on in the midst of trouble, even when the enemy's at his very front door. And God works a miracle when Hezekiah becomes radical and steps out in the name of the Lord. God willing, we'll have a look at that at the moment. But notice what it says here. So he breaks Nehushtan, the piece of brass. Verse 5 says, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel. So that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. What about the Lord writing an epitaph through the Spirit of you like that? I find this difficult to take in because I think of David, king of Judah. He was king of Israel and Judah. Maybe they're speaking just of Judah itself because the nation is separated at this time. I don't know, but in this it's saying that, that there's none like him. Solomon, but he was king over all Israel. So what we want to look at is the separation of the kingdom. What happened to these kingdoms and these two kings and then that are mentioned in verse 1, Hosea and Hezekiah. Hezekiah has done so much for God. And you know the story of Hezekiah takes sick. And the Lord says through Isaiah, you're going to die, set your house in order. And he cries unto the Lord. And the Lord gives him another 15 years. Another 15 years. Turn with me to 1 Kings. Keep that, your finger there at 2 Kings 18. Turn with me to the first book of Kings. I find this part, I mean, this is so central to not only Bible prophecy, but relevant to us today. But it's also very central to uh, Bible history and chronological order of things that happened with God's people. And there's very, very few people go into these things except to take a wee thought out. And when you look at what God has done through this chronological age and then prophetically, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see God's big picture and how God is greater than everything and anything that you could ever come against. Do you know what Bible prophecy does? Bible prophecy proves God's word to be true. 
That's what it does. God's word's true, why it's proven or not, but it proves to us God's word is true. It proves to the unbeliever, look what God's doing. It's true. First Kings, please, uh, chapter 10. When you're looking that up, in chapter 9, Solomon builds a temple, dedicates it unto the Lord. So now we're into chapter 10. Queen of Sheba comes in verse 1. I don't want to read it all for time's sake. She brings riches to Solomon and wealth. Then let your eye run down. She sees his men are happy in first eight. Solomon's good to his people. He looks after them. Happy are thy men, happy are thy servants, which stand continually before thee, that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord God, which delighted in thee, to set thee on the throne of Israel. Now notice this, because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. And she gave him 120 talents of gold and of spices and very great store, precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. Notice, and the navy also of Haram that brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir, brought in, in from Ophir great plenty of almug trees and precious stones. Now you notice this when we're going on down. Let your eye just light down in verse 14, just time's sake. Now the weight of the gold that came to Solomon in one year was in hundred three score and six talents of gold. And beside that he had of the merchant men and of the traffic of the spices, of the spice merchants and of the, all the kings of Arabia and of the governors of the country. And King Solomon made 200 targets of beaten gold. Notice this 200 targets of beaten gold. Three pounds of gold went into one shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Do you know if you. It's been equated up until recent years what that may be worth. And they're reckoning that could be up to 30 million pounds worth, just under 30 million, just in these shields alone. 30 million in these beaten shields. Notice this. Moreover, the king, verse 18, made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold. The throne had six steps and the top of the throne was round behind and there were stairs on either side on the place of the seat and two lands stood beside the stairs. Twelve lands stood there on the one side and on the, and the other upon the six steps and there was not like it made in any kingdom. And all King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. Solomon didn't even drink out of anything that wasn't gold. Imagine getting in saying, could I have a, do you fancy a wee drink and bring out a gold goblet for you to drink? You'd hardly lift it. And the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. <laughs> Not good enough. None were of silver. It was nothing accounted in the days of Solomon. For the king had, an, had, a sea, had at sea a navy of Tharshish with the navy of Haram. Once in three years came the navy of Tharsus bringing gold and silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. And all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Notice the wisdom which God had put in his heart. 
Solomon makes, Solomon makes an ivory throne, overlays it with gold, has all this decor around him, millions of pounds worth of shields around the walls. Why would he do that? What he's shown is he's not only shown God's blessing upon his, his people, he's shown not only that God has given wisdom to attain these things, but I'll tell you what he's doing. He knows he's sitting on the throne of Jehovah. That's what he's doing. The throne of Solomon, or David Solomon, is known as the throne of Jehovah, the throne of God. That's why the angel at the birth of Jesus says, and he shall sit upon the throne of his father David. So it's an earthly throne when Christ returns. And he'll sit upon the throne of David. Sometime I'll trace the throne for you. And you'll be very surprised where the throne sits today. I believe the throne is, is symbolized and is uh, occupied by Her Majesty the Queen today. That's another story for another time. Now, I notice this. Notice this. Verse 26, And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had a a 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he bestowed to the cities of the chariots with the kings at Jerusalem. And the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones. Notice, silver to be in Jerusalem as stones and cedar made he to be as sycamore trees that are in the vale for abundance. And Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt and linen yarn. The king's merchants received the linen yarn at a price. And a chariot came up and went out of Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so for all the kings of the Hittites and for the kings of Syria did they bring them out by their means. Isn't that tremendous? Everything's coming from Egypt. Three years sailing at sea. The, the ships of Tharsis. Now, there's a place called Tharsis in southern Spain and it's around the region of what's known as Zaragoza. And I'd have to do a whole study on it for you. But there's a, there was two born to Judah, the, the, the patriarch Judah. And, he, and one was called Phares, and one was called Zara. You can read it in the scriptures, but I can't go into it tonight. And uh, you remember when Phares was being born from Tamar, and the hand came out, and the midwife put the scarlet thread around the hand, and it retracted, and then Phares came out first and said there was a breach made. Phares got the king's line, he became the next to the throne of Israel. Zara, he went out in ships, and it's believed that's why even Paul wanted to go to Spain, because there was a settlement there of Judaites who became known as Jews. In southern Spain, I've been to Zaragoza and I've looked all around, but most of them are, you can't really find an awful lot of it now. But there, on the outside, just on the outside, on the Atlantic Ocean side of it, there was a uh, there's a, a place called Tarsus where they believe this was. But Tarsus became known as the West Coastlands of the Western nations. And it's linked by the Isles of Tarsus, which means smelting. And it's believed then that's where all the ships, even before Solomon's day, this is where the ships came around and around southern England where the tin mines of Cornwall were. That's why Joseph of Arimathea was there. <coughs> Uh, the tin mines of Cornwall, the smelting that went on there, and there was copper mines up in the Anglesey. And in fact, that was even way before that. And you can see there's one of those programs on television I used to follow called Coast 
and you've seen the side of the, the, the mountain where it had been burned, and there's a big, massive cave. Did anybody see that? And they used to, did you see that? And they used to, they used to dig the, the copper out of it, and they used to dig the tin out of Cornwall, and they used to put the two of them together and make the bronze and brass axes, and they used to ship them out back in towards the Middle East. Did you, did you see that too? Yeah. So here is, and then they went round maybe India where there was peacocks. Do you know they're actually finding now stones in parts of the United, well, what's now the United States, with Hebrew inscriptions in it, carved into it, and they're reckoning it's the time of Solomon. They're reckoning it's the time of Solomon. We've got this wee mentality where people of the scientific world, although we thank the Lord for some science, where it's a big bang, now they're finding out, now they're wrong. And then they're finding out, well, we were all mud people, but now you're finding out, no, we're not. And recently a genetic study showed those from uh, Ireland have migrated from the Middle East. And the Celt, Celtoi, right through. That's a new, new a study. It was in the was it newsletter, the Telegraph. So all these things, they're not realizing that these, that we as a people have been about for years, and, and it's not mud people. This is a people God knew about for years. Now notice this here. Notice this. All of this has gone on. All of this worldwide almost, not dominion as it were, because he doesn't rule it all. Notice chapter 11. And you have to go, Solomon, what are you at? What are you thinking of? Do you know what's wrong with him? He's a man. <laughs> At the end of the day, that's what he is. He's just a man. He's stupid. He's carnal. But Solomon loved many strange women. <laughs> now, brother, I'm not saying just because you're a man, you go, I just love one, your wife. But what I'm saying is this. This man had a... And that's what happens when you start taking that which God has given you and letting yourself be puffed up in pride. You know what happens? Or you forget God because of the riches of abundance that you have. Do you know what happens? You start to chase after other things. But Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh. She got through in just for good measure there, you know. Women off, listen, the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. Now, see why we're here? Let me just tell you who the Ammonites and the Moabites are. Do you remember when Lot was in Sodom? And the angels came to destroy Sodom, and Lot says, come in for the night. And the men of Sodom came to us, says they come to let us know these men. In other words, it means sexually know them as a man would know his wife. In other words, it was homosexuality. Well, Lot says, no, take my daughters. And you see, there's a reason why he has said this. Yet that which he had pronounced happened and came back on himself. That word came back on himself. As they went out from, uh, when the angels came and took them out from, from Sodom, do you remember Lot's wife turned back? She turned into a pillar of salt. And Lot and his daughters, his two daughters, ended up in a cave. Well, they thought the whole world was, was they had thought at that point, the whole world been blown up here, you know. Lord's, and we're only left. And some commentators try to make an excuse. They went, the eldest daughter went first, then the second daughter. They got their dad drunk and they slept with him both nights. They both fell pregnant by their father. And the Moabites come out of that. And the Ammonites come out of that. 
that's who they are. And Solomon's marrying into incestual relations. Does anyone wonder some people in the Bible had six fingers and six toes? <laughs> so, but they did. They did. So here, notice this. The Ammonites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites are from Esau, Jacob and Esau, who didn't want his birthright. This is another line. This is a line who's trying to rob Israel all these years back again from Jacob took his birthright. The Zidonians were where Lebanon would be today, um, and they were worshippers of Baal and Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth is... Um, comes from Ishtar as well, from Babylon. And that was Nimrod's wife. She became known as the Queen of Heaven. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? She became known as the Queen of Heaven. And that's who the Zidonians were worshipping, along with Baal or Baal, as some people pronounce it. And you know the thing is, when you look at the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom when they separate, we hear of Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel was a Zidonian witch. She worshipped the queen of heaven and Baal. Or would she worship the devil? And Israel's king married into that. Notice this. Of the nations concerning which... By the way, the Hittites would be up around where Turkey is, by the way, today. Just... Throwing that out there. Um, the Hittites, by the way, also are thought to be... I'm doing this from memory, so you can, you can excuse me if you see me turning my eyes up here trying to think. The Hittites um, were, came from the second son of Canaan, who was cursed. Remember Noah? After the ark, he drank wine and he got drunk. Now, I believe Noah didn't know he was going to get drunk because he always drank that fruit juice wine, but after the flood... There was a, 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 a the, the, the grapes fermented, and he got drunk on it. Remember then, his nakedness was uncovered, and Shem, Ham, and Japheth were the three sons. Well, Shem and Ham um, walked backwards. No, Shem and Japheth walked backwards and covered their father, but Ham didn't. He discovered it, as it were. And he didn't, and he was, uh, if you want to sense, mocking it. So when Noah pronounced a curse uh, on, on Canaan, and Canaan is Ham's descendants. So from Canaan, you have Heth, the second son, and from him come the Hittites. That's where these come from. So this is now you know the peoples that you're talking about here. This is the sword that Solomon, this man who has all this wisdom from God, this is who he's messing about with. And here's the sad thing coming. Of the nations concerning the Lord said unto the children of Israel, you shall not go into them. That is the Lord's word. Neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. Wow. Isn't that that amazing? Yet how many Christians today mess so much with the world where the Lord says to be separate? who marry unsaved partners, husbands or wives, and the Lord says, be separate. How many today are unequally yoked together with unbelievers? And the Lord says, be ye not unequally yoked together? How many, of, how many are saying that, you know, well, I can help him up or I help her? And you, you, you can't really. 
You can't they'll pull you down. And their God, the God of this world and the lust of this flesh of this world, will draw you to where they are quicker than you'll draw or pull them to where you are. That's the sad state of it. Solomon, this man, his heart's turned. And he clave unto these in love. Verse 3, and he had 1,100 wives. <laughs> Dear, help him. Solomon must have been some boy, I'm telling you. 1,100 wives. <laughs> and 300 concubines. That's 1,100 mother-in-laws, when you think of it. <laughs> oh, dear. And if we're all like my mother-in-law, it'd be great. <laughs> and 300, she's not here tonight, so I can say that. I get on fine with me. 300 concubines and his wives turned away his heart. There's twice. Now, see, when you see it written twice like that in Scripture, it's a confirmation of what? God is showing you. He's showing you what happened and he's showing you how it happens but he's showing you his, if you want feeling of heart, turn from me. Look at I done for him. Turn from me. Look at I gave to him. Turn from me. For what? For what? Like the words of Peter, Lord, to whom else will we go? For thou hast the words of eternal life. There's nothing for us, yet our hearts so easily turned. You know what you find? The things that last for a moment, those sins, like Moses, they were the, 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 the pleasures of Egypt for a season. But the reproach of Christ is far greater riches, brothers and sisters. Notice this. For came the past when Solomon was own, his wives turned away his heart. There's the third time after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord. His God was the heart of David, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth. Notice, there it is. The goddess of the Zidonians. After Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Do you know what the god of Milcom done? They made a a bronze hollow statue um, and they filled it with flammable wood and so on. They set it in fire so it glowed hot. And they placed their babies on it. They placed their children on it. Sacrificed to their God. And when you think of a God like that, then we look at our God who sacrificed his son that we would live and have nothing to do like that. And the Lord's looking, he's going, oh, Israel. Listen, think of the abortions that go on in our nation. They're sacrificing children to the God of this world. We voices that can't be heard. We hearts are beating that can't be seen. And do you know it's known that in certain times when they're committing abortion, committing murder of abortion, that there's cries can be heard from a woman and a child. We're no different. Verse 6, look at what it says, And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. And Solomon, then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, 
in the hill that is before Jerusalem and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. Do you know what he's doing? He's built this wonderful temple for Yahweh and he's starting to encroach further and further with the gods of the heathen. That's what happens to a nation, i.e. our nation, when we start, first of all, as a nation of the Bible, nation of the book, and we put Jesus out of everything. We put the commandments out of everything. We put God out of everything. And we start bringing in the heathen closer and closer with their gods and their temples and their mosques and their idols. That's what happens in a nation. That's what's happening here in Israel, in the capital, Jerusalem. Let us read on. Verse 8 says, And likewise did he for all his strange wives. How many gods was there? False gods. Many was there. Which burnt incense and sacrificed to their gods. Notice this. And the Lord was angry with Solomon. And the Lord was angry. Can I give you my two cents worth here for what's happening in Britain today? God is angry. See all these floods happen, happening in years, excessive rainfalls, the damage that's happening. God is angry. God is angry at his church for how it's went, how it's allowed things to go. God is angry at this nation. And I believe God's not finished yet. See, with the heathen that's come into our land, and what is happening with the, uh, even as we talk with abortions and all those things, God is angry at it. Do you see the homosexual agenda, the left-wing socialist, uh, communist atheism that's in our land and rising? God is angry at it. The ecumenism of his church with idols, God is angry at it. And he's saying, you better turn to me. Turn to me. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel. Notice this, which had appeared unto him twice. I read that today. I don't know many times. Just that one verse. God appeared to him twice. If God appeared to you once, you'd say, I would never turn back. I would never walk away. If God appeared to you, do you know some brothers and sisters, we could say that to the, uh, for, till the end of this evening over and over again. If you appeared to us, if you appeared to us, I have something to tell you. If you've been saved by grace and you have had an experience with Christ and you've realized he's the Christ of God and the Holy Ghost has quickened you, regenerated you, you've had a greater experience in Solomon. That's the problem. And our hearts are turned off to everything but God. Can I be honest with you? Funny, I said to Tracy tonight, just we're sitting talking, looking through some courses and hymns and stuff. And I knew people can't be here for one reason or another, and that's fine. I says, you know, see, the strange thing is, see, when you mention the prayer meeting, hardly anybody turns up. It's the Cinderella of the meetings. Hardly anybody turns up. See, when you mention a prayer meeting, everyone should be running to the meeting. Of any meeting. This is where the this is where the boiler house is stoked. 
for what God's going to do in our lives and in our assembly and in our nation. It's on our knees. The Bible study comes a close second. Actually, the Bible study. It's not. It's God's word. It's God's word. The Lord was angry, and yet he had appeared to Solomon twice, and he still turned from him. And had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. How many times does God speak to us? And we make a vow with God and defer to pay it. How many times does God speak to us and give us the word? And we know in our hearts God is giving us the word. And we still say, tell me again, Lord. While we commit it, while we run from it. I wish our whole church were here to hear this. I wish this church was packed tonight. I'm grateful for the many of you who are out, but I wish our church was packed. Verse 11. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, what I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. What if God says, You know what? I'm not going to speak any more to you. I'll use somebody else. Donna Cronelum, I'll use somebody else. Donna Cronelum will take my anointing somewhere else. Ken Davidson, I'll take my anointing somewhere else. I think we need to covet what God has sent us. Covet his presence and his anointing. I think of those in this church who are fearfully laboring away. I think of the youth and the children's meeting, the kingdom kids, even the creches, everything. Sunday schools, I think of the worship team. I thank God for this. I really do. You know some God's placed you somewhere, you need to keep it. Notwithstanding, he says in verse 12, in thy days I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Now this is very, very important we catch this so first of all God's going to rend the kingdom from Solomon he's over all of Israel 12 tribes together the half tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh as they call it really 13 if you want to call it all and notice this he says I'm going to rend the kingdom I'm going to rip it in two and I'm going to not do it to you Solomon you know why because I loved your daddy Praise God for godly parents. Praise God for godly parents who want their children to grow up in the ways of God. And the Lord says, see, because of your parents, I'm not going to do this to you. But see, your son, because Solomon has had his heart turned. Look where the line is broken at Solomon. And now his children are going to suffer. Do you know every, everything we do before God 
everything as a, as a people of God that we are, that, that God recognizes this. And he says, oh, train up your child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And he, he tells us these things over and over again. To raise our children up. To write his word upon uh, the doorpost and the door lintels, as it were, of our home. To read it to them and teach them it when they're lying down and when they're rising up. And if our children see anything different than that, they live as their parents lived. And it's broken at Solomon, a man whom God has appeared to twice. I'd love, and, and he has a son called Rehoboam. And I, if I was Rehoboam, I'd say, Daddy, what went wrong? What did you do wrong? How be it I will not rent away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe for David, my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. Now notice, one tribe, he says, I'm not going to take it all away from you, but I'm going to give you an extra tribe for David's sake. Notice David, the man after God's own heart. The one who wrote the Psalms had written the Psalms and sang unto the Lord and yet failed so many times but trusted in the, in the grace of God. Now notice this, what, this is what happens. He says, see for your daddy's sake. I'm going to do this. For your daddy's sake. You're not going to be totally bereft. So what's going to happen is he's going to rend the kingdom. When he rends the kingdom, he's going to give Solomon an extra tribe to be with him. And he's going to give the kingdom to Solomon's servant. Okay? Now, Lord, start up an adversary unto Solomon. There's three adversaries come. We'll skip over these quickly. The Lord start up an adversary unto Solomon. Hagad the Edomite. Do you notice who it is? An Edomite. Look at verse 1. One of them was Edom. Turns back on you. You play with the devil's backyard, he'll come and attack you. We'll see it later on. We can't do it tonight. We'll do part two in the Lord's will next Tuesday night where we'll look at Hezekiah. This is the run-in just tonight. And we'll see Hezekiah with the enemy at the gate. Here we have the Edomite coming back to bite him, as it were. He was of the king's seed in Edom. When you read Edom, Esau, or Seir, S-E-I-R, they're the same peoples. That's who they are from Esau. For it came to pass when David was in Edom and Joab, the captain of the host, was gone up to bury the slain after the smitten of the after he had smitten every male of Edom for six months did Joab remain there with all Israel until he had cut off every male in Edom and Hadad fled. He and his he and fled he and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him to go into Egypt, Hadad being yet a little child. So here's this little child brought up to say, you know what? I'm going to be worshipping the gods of, of the heathen, as it were. I'm going to be worshipping false gods. I'm going to worship the devil. And I'm going to remember he came into our backyard. I'm going to remember he attacked our kingdom and he comes back on them. Do you know what the old saying is? The same passion you love somebody with when it really goes sour, it's the same measure of hate that you can hate them with. And you find that out throughout scripture as well. Let your eye run down quickly. You can read it when you go home. Verse 23, And God stirred him up another adversary, Rezin, or Rezin, the son of Eliada, which fled from his lord, Hadarazar, king of Zobah. And he gathered men unto him and became captain over a band when David slew them of Zobah. And they went to Damascus and dwelt therein and reigned in Damascus. And he was an adversary to Israel all the days of Solomon beside the mischief that Hadad did. And he abhorred Israel 
and reigned over Syria. Here's Damascus being mentioned. Now look at the third one. And Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the Ephrathite of Zarida, Solomon's servant. Now, if I was Solomon, what I would be doing is saying, I know there's an enemy here from Edom. I know there's an enemy here in Damascus and Syria. And I know I must watch them. But do you see this one here who's right at my hand here? See this one here who's so close to me? See this one here who's telling me, Thou art great, O Solomon. God told me about him. You know, God didn't say to him, I'm going to give him your, the kingdom to these other two. He says, your servant. If I was Solomon, I'd be watching the servant. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, was the servant whose mother's name was Sarah, the widow woman. Even he lifted up his hand against the king. And this was the cause that he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built Milo and repaired the breaches of the city of David his father. And the man, Jeroboam, was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing the young man, that he was industrious, made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. Now, hold on a minute, Solomon. Did you hear God's word? Do you know God speaks to us week after week and we do not listen to his word? God speaks in the church, whether it's in the spirit or through the preaching of his word. And people go, that was a word for me. And they go out the door and do nothing with it. And you know what happens? The devil's walking beside them the whole time going, great, they're not taking it in, they're not listening. I'll be able to get my chance. It's going to be your servant. And what does he do? You're industrious. You're a great fella. You're, you're a mighty man of valor. I'm going to walk. In fact, you know what? Put him in prison. No, he didn't do that because the Lord told me it's you. And he could hold up his hands and he could say, but, but Solomon, it's not me. The Lord told me it's you. It doesn't matter what he says. The Lord said it's him. Solomon gives him a place. Mighty man of valor. It sets him over all the house of Joseph. And the house of Joseph actually becomes known as the whole northern kingdom of Israel. (laughs) The house of Joseph isn't just the family. It's the whole northern kingdom. And he's saying, you be head over the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, Hold on a minute, Solomon. There's only two tribes left. Your own, Judah. And one for David's sake that the Lord told you. Will you open your ears and listen? Which will be Benjamin. You can see this when you're reading it, can't you? And you're sort of going, what's wrong with this man? This is a man who's meant to have the wisdom of God. Let me go back to what I said earlier. You know what's wrong with him? He's a man. Notice this. Verse 29. It came to pass at that time when Jeroboam, this is the servant now, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite found him in the way and he had clad himself with a new garment and they too were alone in the field and Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in 12 pieces. 
and said to Jeroboam, Take thee ten pieces, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to thee. But he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because they... Because that they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of uh, the children of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do that which is right in mine eyes, to keep my statutes and my judgments as did David his father. Howbeit, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him prince all the days of his life for David my servant's sake, whom I choose. Because he kept my commandments, my statutes, but I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and will rend it unto thee, even ten tribes. And unto his son will I give one tribe, and David my servant, that David my servant may have a light. Now take note of that, underline that. David my servant may have a light all the way before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen me to put my name there. And I will take thee, and thou shalt reign according to all that thy soul desireth and shall be king over Israel. And shall be, if thou wilt hearken unto all the command I command thee, and will walk in my ways, and do that is right in my sight, to keep my statutes, my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with thee, and build thee a sure house as I built for David, and will give Israel unto thee. And I will for this afflict the seed of David, but not forever. Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam, and Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Now, we're going to have to wrap this up. Ahijah, the prophet, is waiting outside Jerusalem. Jeroboam walks outside the city. Jeroboam's a nice new coat on, a robe. Ahijah comes up, the prophet, and rips it from Jeroboam and starts ripping it into pieces, 12 pieces, one for every tribe. And he takes 10 of those pieces together. Ten, imagine somebody hand your coat back in 10 pieces. And he says, that there is 10 pieces, one for every tribe. The Lord's going to rend the kingdom from Solomon. You're going to have 10 tribes. You know where the 10 tribes was? The house of Joseph. <laughs> you know what's happening? All this time, Solomon, uh, 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 such wisdom he's meant to have. Solomon not listening to the word of God, acting on the word of God, loving the word of God, walking in the word of God. He says, Ah, sure, God spoke it. Sure, it'll never happen. God loved me. Sure, there'll never be any judgment upon me. And he raises this young man up to be over the house of Joseph. So he's already got a foothold. And the people are already looking to him as the ruler. And the Lord's sitting back, as it were, saying, I've already this in plan. It shows you God's in control of everything. And so whenever he comes, he gives him 10 pieces, and he says, that's for the 10 tribes. You're going to have those, but for David's sake. He says, I'm not going to rend them all together. I told him I'd give him one tribe uh, to his own, and that would be the, light, the light-bearing tribe. A light always to be before him. So he gives him Benjamin. We'll find out in our time. He gives him Benjamin to be with Judah. Levi were a priestly tribe who had no uh, inheritance in the land but took the tenth and the tithe and that's what they lived on. They were scattered throughout the land. So here he has these two pieces for these two tribes. And the light-bearing tribe of Benjamin. Now, when we go into the New Testament, we'll not 
I don't know if we'll, get, we'll do that or not. We'll see maybe later. But when we go into a New Testament, when you see the Lord Jesus walking around Galilee, all of the disciples say of Judas Iscariot and possibly Matthew, because it says he was, his name was Levi, sitting at the receipt of custom. He was maybe a Levite representing the priestly tribe. But Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. All the other all the other apostles or disciples at the time are believed to come from the tribe of Benjamin because when later on they go into Babylon, we'll look at it, and they come back out again. And they, they, they migrate up versus Benjamin. They're pushed up by Judah, and they migrate mostly around the Sea of Galilee. And that's where Christ was. That's why Christ couldn't walk in jury, for they sought to kill him. In order around Judah, where Jury was in strength. So when he went into Benjamin, up around Galilee, he could walk more freely around there. And so because they weren't Jury, as it were, even though they were classed as, if you want, Jews by religion or whatever, but they weren't racially Jew. They were the same race people, if you know me, but they weren't racially Jew. So whenever you, you get there, we read of Paul the Apostle being arrested by the Lord on the road to Damascus, don't we, after his resurrection? And the Lord says, I'm Jesus, and sends him out uh, in, in his ministry. And when Paul tells us in his letters where he's from, he says he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, here's the wonderful thing about it. And here we've read tonight in 1 Kings um, chapter 11 and the chapter 12, we have read that Benjamin is a light all way before Judah. And you'll read the whole way through Scripture from there on in. Judah and Benjamin are mentioned. Judah and Benjamin together. The whole way through, Judah and Benjamin. Israel and Judah, or Israel and the Jews, as they call later on, war against each other. They fight with each other. But Benjamin and Judah are together. The house of David is the, the monarchy, the monarchy kingship line out of that. And then when we look at this, this is what you'll see. The Apostle Paul later and those apostles of the Lamb, if you want, it's believed that all of them, but bar those two I mentioned, they came from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, when the Holy Ghost was poured out in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, and they were sent forth, they were sent forth with the gospel, and the gospel is the light of God's word. And God says, this tribe, I'm going to use them to be light bearers. That's why he's... He's already thinking this a way back. This is what we're going to do. And years after, I mean, a lot of the Jews have been scattered. There was maybe Zaragoza and Camens in Spain and Italy. There was the dispersed among the Greeks. And the house of Israel moved west. So what do they do? They start going out after them. And they're holding forth the word of life, as it were. Paul goes to go east and the Lord goes, Holy Ghost goes, no, go west. Over into Macedonia and away over that way. That's tremendous. Absolutely fantastic. God says, the whole out the light. And Judah is where Christ came from. You know, I had a few bullet points tonight there, and I wanted to get so many other chapters, but I got lost in that chapter there. And what will they? <laughs> it's just, when, I, when you start reading that, you see it. Next week in God's will, I want to show you Isaiah the prophet with Hezekiah. 